Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Hello everybody. Um, yeah, we're continuing into the third week of a series on Jonah. So if you're here for the first time today, we're going to read over some things that maybe you've read over last week, but it's good to read the Word. It's good to be able to hear what God's saying time and time again. And today, I'm sure that you're going to walk away with some part of this message speaking to your heart. So the message that I'm preaching today, I've called, There Are Two Types of People. Should be up there. It will get up there. So there are two types of people. And maybe in an hour and a half when I start wrapping up, maybe a little bit less, you will know where you sit within that space. And also the people at home, the people in your family. Who sits where, and how do you shift toward the other type? So, with these two types of people, I looked at a few statements to sort of kick off. So the first one, there are two types of people in the world. People who ask for directions, and men. (laughs) We all know that one. Wives, do you agree? But it's just, we've got this inner knowing to find stuff, and to see stuff. But yeah, there are those two types, so it's very true. Um, Next one, there are two types of people, those who, those with a bad short-term memory and, what was that, what? (laughs) So there are, okay. Um, How about another one? There are two kinds of people in life, people who like their jobs and people who don't work here anymore. (laughs) Another one for fun. There are two types of people, those who are good with words and those who are, um, thingy, um. So we all know these people, okay? And hopefully today, like, I, I might fall into the trap of the um thingy, so please forgive me if I do. Another one, there are two types of people, those who divide people into two types of people and those who don't. So I'm one of the people who are dividing the people into two types of people. So forgive me as I go along this journey but I'm hoping that you'll see a bit of God speaking through the types of people. So let's look at another one. So I'm not, well, let's not look at another one yet. So I want you, as we're reading through the scriptures, to try and see what two types are there that keep on coming up again and again and again. And what does that need, mean for me? And I'll highlight a few points, um, and then we'll take it from there. So we've been preaching out of Jonah 1. Now, Jonah is the one book where I've been speaking to people and saying, have you read the book? And firstly, they don't know it exists. Maybe it was just a story. And secondly, the whole book? Yes, the whole book. And it's amazing because it's two pages. (laughs) So we're still sticking on the first page. And it's amazing how much we're getting from this book and how much God is really speaking through the story of Jonah. So let's see how these words unfold. And I'm going to, for the sake of others, read through the whole of chapter 1 again, and then we can start picking out specific things. So half the book, no, a quarter of the book we're going to read through. So while I do this, I'd love for you to open up your Bibles if you have it, follow along. I'm going to be reading from the Amplified. If you don't have your Bibles, it is going to be up on the screen. It's a lot of words, but you can follow, and I'll read through now. So from verse 1. <clears throat> now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... Go to Nineveh, the great city, 
and proclaim judgment against it, for their wickedness has come upon me. But Jonah ran away. Love for you to just highlight. It's good to highlight in your Bible, underline in your Bible. Don't stress, you can do it. I used to battle with that for a very long time, and now I just, just write. So, but Jonah. That's quite an important part that we'll come back to. But Jonah ran away to Tarshish, Tarshish, <laughs> to escape from the presence of the Lord and his duty as his prophet. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, the most remote of the Venetian trading cities. So he paid the fare and went down into the ship to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord, another good part to underline there, but the Lord. He hurled a great wind toward the sea, and there was a violent tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors were afraid, and each man cried out to his God. And to lighten the ship and diminish the danger, they threw the ship's cargo into the sea. But Jonah, again, had gone below into the hold of the ship, okay, and laying down and had fallen into a sound sleep. Some translations into a deep sleep. So the captain, and some translations say, but the captain, <laughs> came up to him and said, how can you stay asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will give a thought to us so that we will not perish. And they said to another, come, let us cast lots so we may learn who is to blame for this disaster. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Verse 8. Then they said to him, Now tell us, who is to blame for this disaster? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? For those of you who have read the message translation, it's brilliant. They said, and they grilled him, <laughs> which is what they did. So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I reverently fear and worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Particularly saying he made the sea while the sea is about to destroy them. <clears throat> Finding my spot. There we go. Then the men became extremely frightened and said to him, How can you do this? For the men knew that he was running from the presence of the Lord. And we've got background screaming as if the ship is about. You heard that? Sure. Then they said to him, What should we do to you so that the sea will become calm for us? For the sea was becoming more and more violent. Jonah said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, interesting, nevertheless, the men rode hard, breaking through the waves to return to land, but they could not because, because the sea became even more violent, surging higher against them. Then they called on the Lord, no longer a God, small g, they called on the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, do not let us perish because of taking this man's life. Some translations, innocent man's life. And do not make us accountable for innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped its raging. Then the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared, appointed, and destined a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Okay, 
So, where are we seeing these two types of people? What stands out? And I've got four different versions of the two types of people that I want to just unpack and again reflect on where you are. So firstly, C.S. Lewis, he actually says this. He says, there are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, all right, have it your way. Let me read it one more time. There are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, Lord, your will be done. And those who, those who to whom God says, and those to whom God says, and those that God says to them, <laughs> other way around, sure. All right then, have it your way. So God's saying one thing. There we go. We've got it. So interestingly enough that Jonah was the first prophet who responded to the call of God in this way. There was a right up there. And those to whom God says, that's correct, sure, okay. So, Jonah was the first prophet who responded to God in this way. Um, a lot of the other prophets responded in a normal way, like with lots of excuses, like we do. Came up with many excuses, but in the end, they're like, okay, God, your will. But Jonah did something different. So let's look at some of the others that have gone before Jonah and even ahead of him. Moses, he said, Lord, I can't because I was stuttering. David's armor didn't fit. Amos, another prophet in one of those very small books, his only training was in the school of fig tree pruning, and God wanted to use him as a prophet. David had an affair. Abraham was too old. David was too young. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. John was self-righteous. Paul was a murderer. Moses was a murderer. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Elijah was burnt out. Samson had long hair. Noah got drunk. Did I mention Moses had a short fuse again and again? So did Peter and Paul and lots of people had short fuses. But the difference with them is they still ended up saying, okay, Lord, but your will. And they followed that will. But then there's this other type of person who, in this case, is Jonah, who didn't say a thing. He just ran. <laughs> you know, He runs the other direction. So he's the one where then God says, all right, then, have it your way. Okay? And it's interesting, God, how he works, and we get to see a lot of God's character in this. So, verse 3 of that text in chapter 1 said, But Jonah. So my response to this was, well, if Jonah flees, I'm sure there's other people. Why doesn't God just choose somebody else? If God is worrying so much about the Ninevites, ask the next person who's going to go. Leave Jonah, you know. He's on his own mission, because that's what I would do. You know, but this reveals something of God. God surprises me because he instead he pursues Jonah. But why does he do that? And for me, I could only come up with this, is that he offers us what we do not deserve. It's because of his grace that he pursues Jonah instead of going for the next person for Nineveh. He offers us what we do not deserve because of his undying love for us and for others. So now it's not just about Nineveh, it's about Jonah, it's about Nineveh, it's about sailors on a ship too. Now it was not only about the Ninevites, I've just said that. And obviously God knew this up front. God wasn't surprised. God didn't say then, oh dear, he's running, what do I do now? God knew it and saw this as an opportunity to show his character and his grace to pursue more and bring more people to knowing who he is. So, except he did it in a different way. He did it through a fierce storm. 
And sometimes we expect God in our lives to act in a specific way. And when we don't see it, we say, well, God's not here. But God pursues us. Sometimes in a way we might not understand, but he pursues us. Max Lucado describes God and his grace like this. He says that God is a heart surgeon. Grace is God cracking open your chest, removing your heart, poisoned as it is with pride and pain, and replacing it with his own heart. God's dream isn't just to get you into heaven, but to get heaven into you. Grace lives because Jesus lives. He works because he works. And grace matters because Jesus matters. To be saved by grace is to be saved by Jesus. Not by an idea, not by a doctrine, not by a creed, not by church membership, but by Jesus himself, who will sweep into heaven anyone who so much as gives him the nod. Give him the chance, and he will pursue you, he will show you his grace, and he will want your heart, because he wants your heart. So grace won't be stage-managed and something that we can try and work with. Um, and then Mexicana says, I have no tips on how to get grace. Truth is, we don't get grace but it sure can get us. And it's very true. So this part of these two types in the first part is that, if we can just go back a slide still. I think we should be on slide one still. Slide, first one, there we go. So here's the key thing, again, is that either we can be in a space where we can say, Lord, your will be done, or we can run. And the running leads to other parts, which will be described in the other two types. But guess what? God's love is so much bigger, His grace is so much bigger, that He will still pursue us. And that's amazing. And that makes me want to follow that will. So the second part, the second two types. There are two kinds of people. Those who obey and those who pay. Next slide. Those who obey and those who pay. Now, disobedience never comes without a price. Um, the legal system's built on this. So if you disobey the law, you may try and run, but guess what? There's going to be a price. You're driving like a st stupid person. At some point, you're going to open up your post box, and there's going to be a little letter, and you're going to open it up thinking it's your license desk registration, and it's not. And you've got a photo, put it up on your wall, but you're going to pay if you disobey. Okay? And... In the Bible it says, it says the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. There's a payment to be made every time we choose to disobey God, when we know what to do, when we know what the right thing is to do. The thing is that disobedience will never take an upward spiral. It takes a downward spiral. Once you disobey, the next step is down again, and the next step's down again, because it starts a bit of a rolling avalanche into something that goes down. It doesn't go up. So as soon as Jonah tried to escape God's presence, this downward spiral started. Now many scholars look at the book of Jonah, and it's beautifully written. It's not just a story. It's more of, some people say it's more like a poem. Because some words and the words that were used were used explicitly for a reason because there's a message behind these words that God wants to get through. So if you look at chapter 3, it says that, sorry, verse 3 of chapter 1, it says that as Jonah fled, the first thing he did, well, God said to him, firstly, arise and go, and he fled. <laughs> it says that he went 
down to Joppa. That's the first step, down. Okay? Interestingly enough, Joppa stands for, the meaning of Joppa is beauty. So he went down towards something that was beautiful. It might have looked awesome. It might have looked like something great, but he went down because it was in disobedience. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. Okay? Tarshish means wealth. And sometimes we can be following that in disobedience, but it's a step down. The most remote, remote of the Phoenician trading cities, far away, to the other end of the known world at the time. So he paid the fare, there, the first payment. He had to pay a fare. He disobeyed, he had to pay. And again, he went down into the ship to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Then later in verse 5, it says, But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, even further down, and had lain down, <laughs> and even beyond that had fallen into a deep sleep. So Jonah was as down as it could possibly get to because of disobedience at Sodor of Yah, downward spiral into the downness of the down that the down can be, and actually not yet because in the next chapter he went further down, <laughs> a lot deeper down. Um, but the thing there is that God wants us to be on an upward spiral to become more and more like Jesus and not one that's heading down. And disobedience calls that and there's a price to pay. So disobedience always has a price and one that leads you and brings you and brings others down too. And the sailors in the ship, they felt that they were going down because of one man's disobedience. But don't be fooled. Obedience often has an even greater price to be paid. Obedience isn't easy. There's a price to pay. There's a sacrifice to be made. But God's provision, God's going ahead of you, preparing the way for you, being there for you, giving you the strength, giving you the resources in obedience, that's what God does. doesn't mean it's easy. There is a price, but he blesses that. Philippians 2 verses 8 says, and Jesus actually personified this, he says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. But his death was an upward journey toward Jesus being glorified. He's now sitting on a throne. So obedience can lead to death. It's a payment to make, but Jesus gets glorified. And we are all here because of this obedience. Jesus humbled himself. He humbled himself. So that key word leads us into our next two types of people. The third one, there are two types of people. Those who put themselves first and those who look out first for others. Where do we sit with this? Do we put ourselves first? Do we put others first? And what is God calling us to do? Let's be honest with ourselves. So Jonah's renowned as someone who was putting himself first. Every step of the way, he is putting his feelings, his thoughts, his anger toward the Ninevites, his hatred first, above God's call, and even above the sailors. He's sitting on a ship full of sailors who are going down and who are stressing for their lives. He's busy taking a nap. He really couldn't care less. It's all about him. Joseph, Jonah is passive, apathetic. Really, he's no, of no use you know, for the storm being cold. He's sleeping for the storm being calmed. And if you look at it from the sailor's perspective, going back to this, that there are two types of people, those who put themselves first and those who put others first, 
Even the sailors were putting others first while Jonah slept. Now the sailors were, did not know God. They were pagans. They called out to their own God, small g, and their own hundreds of gods to try and find a solution. But they were doing something in order to save everyone on the ship, even to the point of waking up Jonah, yes, to save him, but also to save um, so that he could call on his God. So verse 6 says, So the captain came up to Jonah and said, How can you be sleeping? Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will give a thought to us so that we will not, fit, not perish. And even once the sailors got Jonah up and they realized who he was and they realized that he said, I'm a Hebrew and so forth, and he told them, throw me into the water. If I was on this boat, I would have been like, okay, go. <laughs> you know, just go. But they cared so much for the other, not for themselves, these sailors, that they said, no, we can't do that. And they started rowing back to shore and trying to fight the thing because they wanted to even save Jonah. So there's something there of them saying, actually, it's not just about me and my survival, it's about everybody. But unfortunately, Jonah doesn't show that at this point. A Jewish scholar states this, because as you know, I mean, actually around this time in the Jewish calendar, uh, Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement, and every Yom Kippur, they read Jonah. Um, And a scholar who is Jewish wrote this, he said, how ironic it is that Jonah contrasts himself with the sailors. He is righteous and aware of God's plan. They are idolatrous and ignorant of God's ways. The careful reader also sees a contrast, but it is the antithesis of Jonah's own perception. The reader sees that the sailors act admirably, praying and acting to save themselves. They repent, becoming sincerely God-fearing people. Jonah, by contrast, does nothing but actively avoids doing God's will. So yeah, we learn something about God through idolatrous sailors, through how they act, through how they approach this call of God, and it leads them to a space of realizing who God is. Um, so even at the end, they cry out to God. <laughs> this is a crazy one. They, once they realize that they couldn't row and get back to the shore, they cry out to the God and they said, Please, O Lord, Do not let us perish because of taking this man's life. And do not make us accountable for innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. And another way of saying it, for you, O Lord, let your will be done. They moved from a space of saying, my will, but even to helping everybody, to a greater space of actually saying, Lord, your will be done. And after that, the storm stopped, and they sacrificed to God, and they gave full surrender to God. You see, amazing things happen when we say, actually, we're not going to put ourselves first anymore. We're going to put others first. So it's sad how we often see these things happen. And I've been there. One of my biggest sort of defining moments, I was sitting when I was, what, 20, yeah, 20, 21. I had dreadlocks down to here. And I was preaching through KZN, very excited. I loved the Lord. Everybody thought I was something else. But it's fine. I didn't care. And there was this one kid who at the time was like maybe 10. And I was speaking about my testimony about God in front of all these kids in Toti, uh, where Wally is now. And about five years later, this kid that was once there was now 18 or 19. And there was I sitting in a pub called Almeca Tequila. 
And this pub, if you know anybody who's been in Toti, it's Toti's a little bit rough on the edges and more. And I'm sitting in there, having a cigarette, drinking, but to the point where actually I've gone way too far, and I'm not reflecting anything of God. And this kid, he was at that preach back then, he's in there with his girlfriend, he's now in a band, he's really cool and all of that, and he comes to me, completely sober him, (laughs) and says to me, Emmanuel, what are you doing here? I can understand maybe why I'm here, but I remember that talk from then, what are you doing here? I could see God working in your life. You know better. And sometimes it takes people who aren't saved to make us remember what God's done for us. You know? And it's a horrible time. It's not easy. When you hear that, it's scary. <laughs> you know, and something sinks. And even in this case, the captain goes to Jonah and says, Jonah, do something. <laughs> Jonah responds and says, well, I'm a... He-. You know, he responds straight away. He didn't come up with excuses. He said, okay, this is... I take responsibility. Somebody who doesn't know the Lord saying to him, what's going on here? It's a scary place to get to. Love your enemies, do good to those that hate you. Not just love your neighbor, love your enemies, do good to those that hate you. Whew, okay. Sure, it's a tough one. So I heard this joke, interesting one. You can try it here, but I won't put people on the spot. So, a priest is giving a homily based on Jesus' command to love your enemies. Now, he says, I'll bet that many of us feel as if we have enemies in our lives. Correct? Yes? No? Yes? I hear some yeses. He says to the congregation. So raise your hands, he says. If you have many enemies, you guys are welcome to participate. Raise your hand if you have many enemies. Okay. And quite a few people raise their hands. It's a good church. Now raise your hands if you have only a few enemies. Sure. Okay. And about half as many people raise their hands. Now raise your hands if you have only one or two enemies. And even fewer people raise their hands. See, says the priest, most of us feel like we have enemies. Now raise your hands if you have no enemies at all. Also no hands, sure, interesting crowd. And the priest looks around and he looks around and finally way in the back, a very, very old man raises his hand. He stands up and says, I have no enemies whatsoever. Delighted, the priest invites the man to the front of the church. What a blessing, the priest says. How old are you? I'm 98 years old. I I have no enemies. Wow. What a laugh, eh? The priest says, what a wonderful Christian life you lead. And tell us, how is it that you have no enemies? He says, because all those idiots have died. (laughs) So we all have enemies. We need to understand that the level of hatred that we might feel is worth it, isn't worth it. God's grace, mercy, and love is greater than whatever hatred we have to our enemies. If this happened today in today's times, I completely understand where Jonah's coming from. I was chatting the other night to a, I think she's 10, um, Bianca, um, Lynette and Leon's daughter, and we were chatting at Life Group, and I said, who knows what happened in 2014? Something that just changed the world, and since then, the world's been very different. And she knew it. It was amazing. It's like, wow. So in 2014, anybody know? Something happened in 2014, and since then, the world hasn't really been the same. Hmm? Nelson Mandela. 
That is one thing, yes. But another thing. <laughs> in 2014, a city in northern Iraq called Mosul was taken over by terrorists, terrorists then known as ISIL, and today known broadly as ISIS. Anybody, anybody remember that? The city was taken siege. Christians fled. 500,000 Christians fled from the city. They were given an ultimatum. And I was watching YouTube. There's clips on this. It's hectic. They were given an ultimatum. Either denounce Christ and convert. Or leave the city, if you're lucky, to be able to leave or die. That was it. These people were fleeing for their lives. There's many stories that men were hung, women were raped. Today still women are being sold into sex slavery, into Baghdad, into some of the biggest cities for money to fund ISIS. So now what does that sit with you? I mean, I, honestly, I feel hatred. <laughs> Sometimes it's easy to say, oh, no, I love my enemies or I don't have any enemies because you just don't know them. <laughs> But God says, love your enemies. And that love, where he says, love your enemies, is three types of love. There's love as in the friendly love. He doesn't say, go become friends with your enemies. That's the friendly love. Okay? He doesn't say, go make out with your enemies and marry them. That's the one called eros. We won't go there right now. Okay? But he says, agape your enemies. And that is an unconditional love, the same love that God has given us. That's a big one. Okay? So how do we actually do that? Our battle, to hear those stories. And for those of you who don't know, Mosul has expanded and expanded, and about half of Mosul is Nineveh. That is where Nineveh is. So where was Jonah sitting? I can get it. I get it. If God said to me today, go and pronounce freedom in Mosul, I'd battle. But God wants to change our hearts. This is similar to saying to somebody, during the Second World War, go to the middle of Nazi Germany and tell Hitler and tell all of the soldiers that I love them and they're free from everything. I'd battle. But God, but God, but Jesus, his love is way better than we can, we can ever, ever imagine. A key thing that sets out for me is... And I only understood it for a while. Sometimes I battle a bit with words. It's about five years ago. You go to the next slide. This guy called John Bradford. Now, a lot of you may have heard this. There but for the grace of God go I. Have you heard it? It's a saying. And this thing really, really hits home for me. Now, John Bradford, he was a, a Christian. In the, in, in, this was in like the 1500s. And he ended up in a prison with a bunch of other people who were preaching the word of God and he saw somebody heading off to be, get the death penalty through the bars and he said, there but for the grace of God goes John Bradford. And this changes something for me. I only realized the truth of it many years ago. I didn't get this thing. I was like, there but Then my wife said, it means this. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. And it's easy to jump into this and see somebody who's poor on the side of the road and say, there but for the grace of God, go out. So what you're actually saying is, unless it's because of God's grace, I could be that person. But God rescued me. And therefore, as Matthew 10, 8 says, it says, freely you have received this grace, now freely give. So that's what God's saying. But how much harder is it to say, 
to somebody who's just murdered somebody, <laughs> somebody who's been raping for years, to say, there but for the grace of God, I go, no, 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 I wouldn't be that. Actually, there but for the grace of God, you go, God's grace has brought us here and has saved us, but God's grace is for everyone. No matter what the sin is, he, he pursues them. And there's something of that when God says, love your enemies, in terms of practice, to be able to look at our enemies and say, that could be me, but, but God, but His grace. And God starts doing something in my heart that changes something. So what does this mean for us now? And in closing, there's really just four points for you that I would like you to, to run with and for us to pray into and to see where do you fit within this. So if you go to the next slide. Firstly, like God did with Jonah, God pursues us, but He pursues our hearts. Our acts could be all doing all the stuff right, but Jonah didn't say a word. He ran and God pursued his heart because God wanted to work with his heart to bring that to a space of truly agapeing these enemies. Psalm 51, and I'm going to read it. It's just David crying out to God and he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right and steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Jonah was running from God's presence. He's praying, don't cast me away from your presence. I want to be in your presence. It's a very different stance. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Not my salvation, your salvation. What you have given to me. Restore to me that joy so I don't get apathetic. So I don't fall asleep when actually the world is falling apart behind me and you're calling me to something greater. Restore to me the joy and the marvel of what you've done for me. And sustain me with a willing spirit. A willing spirit. So when I hear go, I'm willing. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted and returned to you. So it's about the heart. God's after our heart, and he wants to take us through this process. So firstly, God pursues our hearts. Where are our hearts at the moment? Secondly, obey God and His Word. It's about obedience. And it's about hearing God and obeying Him. It says in verse 20 of somewhere, <laughs> I've just got 20 here, whoops. But it says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Again, your heart. Keep my words in your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to their body. In Proverbs 4, it also speaks about the heart and about God's word and about how God's word wants to transform you. And this obedience is the first step to go for it. So I really want to challenge you just to obey God and his word. It says that his word will never return unaccomplished. So you obey it, you run with it. And God supports you, even though it might feel like you're paying a price, you're paying a price where you know God and everybody's right backing you towards something greater, and He's with you through it. Number three, allow Jesus to be the center. Allow Jesus to be the center. John 3.30, again I made it earlier on, says, less of me, less of me, more of you, more of you, Jesus. We must stop being the center. We struggle with this. Maybe on Sundays, God's the center, but every day, 
like Quentin said earlier on, how often throughout this last week does Jesus remain the center? Not us. The biggest thing in the whole Jonah story is that he is the center of everything and he is greater. Romans 14.8 says, If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. That's it. Jesus is the center. And when that happens, amazing things start to happen because our perspective of the world changes. And he changes our hearts and he brings us into the space of this agape love for others. And lastly, love people as God does. John 15, 12 says, Love others as I have loved you. <laughs> That's God's call. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Love brings grace. Love brings forgiveness. Love no matter what the sin, love. So it's a big call for us. So today there are two types of people here. You can leave it on the last slide. The next slide, there we go. Two types of people here that Jesus gave his life for, men and women. Okay, actually everybody, not just us. He gave his life to us to call us to himself so that he can go to the more. <laughs> and it's a challenge for us. He didn't give his life to us so that we can learn how to live a good life. He gave his life to us so that we can go to the next person who doesn't know him and the broken and the murderers <laughs> and share that same love. That's to give it. So, today there are also two types of people. Those who feel that they are close to God and those who feel that they are far away from him. Either you can be heading toward Nineveh, to all God's call, or you can be running to the other end of the world. Perhaps you've never even had the chance to know this God who is pursuing you. Excuse me, because he is actually pursuing you. Who is after you to show you his love. So, I'd love for you, yeah, if you can close your eyes. And if we could stand, that'd be great. Thank you. I really feel that God wants you to respond. I mean, the call is, yeah, it's nice to hear a good preach or, or a bad preach, whatever way it went. But God wants you to respond to his word. That's why his word is there, to change us, to change our direction. And just touching on these points, I want you just to close your eyes and search your heart. Is, is any of this you? And if it is, for us to bring that to God. If you feel comfortable, if this is you, to raise your hands, to do some sort of, Lord, this is me. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be that. But I believe that God wants to set you free and he wants to show you his love. So firstly, are you in God's will? Or do you feel that you are on the run on this downward spiral that's taking you further and further away from God? God wants to pull you out of that. It says that he wants to take you from the miry clay and put yourself your feet on solid ground. That solid ground is Jesus. He doesn't want you to sink. So if you're feeling like you're on that downward spiral and things and you're just getting further from God every day because of something that happened back then, who knows what, just to respond and show God that, Lord, I want you to pull me from this and bring me back to Jesus. Secondly, are you living in disobedience? Do you feel trapped in sin or in a place where you can't get away from paying for the sins of the past? Sometimes that fear that Jonah paid, that fear carries on for a long time. 
And that fear might still carry on for a bit, but God wants to set you free. Why? Because he paid the price. Once and for all, for that. Thirdly, is God nudging you (laughs) as you know that you are the center? Or as the sailors had their gods, and you've also got your gods. You might be your own god, (laughs) putting yourself first. It might be money. It might be your career. It might be your wife or husband. God wants to be first. And then everyone else. He wants to be the center. Is he the center? And if not, let's respond and let's cry out to him that, Lord, whatever is in the center, I give it to you. I surrender it because I want you to be the center. More of you, Jesus, less of me. Where is your heart for the lost? Where is your heart for the grossly lost whom Jesus died for the same? If you're holding bitterness, anger, hatred, like we all are at times, God wants to pull that and he wants to replace it with his heart, heart of love, unconditional love. And also today, if you don't know this Jesus, he wants to show you his love. If you've never met him, he wants to bring his love to you. So if you want to respond to that, God knows where your hearts are. He knows which one is nudging at you and the Holy Spirit showing you. Just lift your hands, do some sign to say, Lord, this is me, and let's pray. And even after the service, if you haven't given your heart to the Lord and you want to come chat with us or you want to come pray further in the front, we can do that afterwards. But for now, let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you pursue us. We thank you for your undying pursuit, (laughs) never-ending. No matter how much we disobey, no matter how much we run, no matter how much we sit and think that we're in the center and we pass it off as something that, Lord, we love people, we love We love you, Lord. We love all of this, but actually deep down inside, we're at the center of our hearts. No matter all of that, Father God, you pursue us again and again, and you call us to show this grace, to experience this grace and love, and to show it to others, Lord. Father God, we call out to you, Lord, you've shown us our hearts. You've shown us these wicked ways. As David says, point out any wicked way in me. Father God, we surrender this to you. Firstly, Lord, we say that we're sorry. Lord, we want to turn away from this downward spiral. We want to turn back to you. Lord, we bring you to the center of our hearts. We bring you to the center. We're sorry for how we've done it in the past. Lord, fill our hearts with your love. Help us understand the bigness and bigness of your love so that when we see others, we can't but love. Because of you, because of you, Jesus. Lord, when we see others that there but for the grace of God go I, it rings true in our hearts that it's your grace that has brought us to where we are now, and how freely we will give it. Lord God, I bring out hatred. I pray that you will recall things to all of us, Father God, where we have hatred and bitterness that's dug into the past. And Lord, we bring it up and we give it to you, and we say, Lord, we forgive. We thank you, Lord, that you fill us with your love and your grace. And we thank you, Lord, that as we go forward, Jesus, that you will just bring us into a bigger space of showing your true love to others, that we can continually follow your will. And out of all these two people, that Lord, that we're the one where you want us to be because you've called us, Lord. And for this, we thank you, Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen.